Acts chapter 2, uh, we'll pick up in verse 34. Before we do, if you're new to Refuge, one of the things that is uh, very important to us is expository preaching, verse-by-verse preaching through the text. Why do we say we do verse-by-verse preaching? I'll tell you since you mumbled it. Uh, uh, so, so we don't get to skip over the hard stuff. We don't get to skip the things that are a little bit uncomfortable, and, and so the things that, that we don't go, oh, I don't know if we want to say that in front of people, or if we want to say that, declare that in front of uh, the church, but yes, we do, because this is the Word of God. We believe it is true and rightful and true and uh, is good for us and our, God, and our walk with the Lord. It's true for revealing uh, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, to, the, to those of us who are all of us that need a Savior, and so we believe that verse by verse, uh, preaching is uh, the profitable way, and it probably is probably 85% of the the diet of preaching that we do here on a regular basis. So uh, we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 34. We're going to back up. This is where we picked up Uh, pre-Easter. We did one offs on Palm Sunday and on Easter Sunday, and so we're back in our text today. And so Uh, We'll actually be in uh, 34 is where we pick up, but I'm going to back up to 32, uh, and you'll be able to kind of give us a run and go into today's text. So this is what uh, the text says. This Jesus God raised up. uh, So this is Peter talking. So Peter has, uh, the Holy Spirit has come, and Peter is talking right here. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he's talking about all the events that had just occurred in Acts chapter 2. Then you get to today's text. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter at the re- and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen? Yeah, that's good news. And so... Here we are post-Easter. We had four baptisms over Easter, which was amazing. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you got to see that, and if not, just celebrate uh, even from afar those who we got a chance to baptize, those who are new believers in Christ Jesus, who uh, have said, hey, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to be baptized to publicly declare to those around me that I follow Jesus. That was just an awesome day. And so here we find ourselves in our text today, post-Easter, uh, post-resurrection in the text, uh, post-coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had fallen in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 and, and come into the room, and you'll remember what that was like. Um, and, and we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 2 at the conclusion of Peter's sermon that he was preaching during that time. Um, and, and so let's back up to a couple of verses and, uh, again, talk about those two. Uh, this is what it says, again, in verse 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and, that, uh, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out 
this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so, uh, so as far as the resurrection of Jesus, I know sometimes that's difficult for people to believe and, and someone could actually come back to life. But Peter says, we all saw it. We, I'm, I'm an eyewitness of this. I'm declaring to you that I have seen Jesus alive among many other people. I have seen that Jesus is alive. And then the text goes on to tell us that Jesus now is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' work has been done. His work has been accomplished. He was here. He has come to live like you and me, tempted in every way like you and I are tempted, yet he did it without any sin. And then he willingly went to the cross, shed his own blood because the blood of animals never uh, took away anyone's sin. It literally took God himself to shed his blood to cover the sin, your sin and my sin. And then God raised him from the dead uh, three days later, which is why we celebrate Easter. And now we have the promised Holy Spirit. That's what our text says that the Holy Spirit has come and indwells us as believer, as believers. And, and so Peter says, this is what you, he, in this text, he says, this is what you have literally seen. This is what I have literally seen and witnesses. He said, I've seen the tongues of fire falling on our heads not too, not too long ago. And I have heard the great rushing sound of the wind that came whenever the Holy Spirit first came onto the scene. And although the Holy Spirit gets a lot of attention in this chapter, and he does, he gets a lot of attention because he is literally bursting onto the scene, who is this all about? Yeah, the Sunday school answer is the right answer here. This is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit will actually do. Uh, The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself, but the Holy Spirit always is pointing to the Savior of the world, Jesus, okay? Let's remember that. Now, allow me to park my chariot over to the side for just a moment, because I think it's imperative that we talk about uh, a couple of things. Uh, Three things that I believe I just need to declare from this pulpit, the things that we hold to at Refuge Church, which are good and right biblical truths to correct some error that some of other denominations, some other people in churches, maybe even you have held to for the majority of your life. I want to help us correct three errors that I think are imperative for us to do that today. Um, I'll start with this one. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, although we see it in Acts chapter 2, does not mean that you will speak in a tongue. Just doesn't mean that. As we saw, it was described in this chapter, but it was not prescribed uh, for every follower of Jesus. And there's a big difference that you'll understand between description and prescription in the scriptures. You may speak in a tongue at some point, but there are even guide rails for that in the scriptures as well. And so what we see a lot in Acts is description. This is what we see. This is what happened during this time. And the writers uh, that, that wrote this down for us, Luke, that recorded this for us, is describing what he said, but is not necessarily prescribing it for each of us to, to follow. Let me give you some differences uh, in, in uh, description and prescription. Uh, like if I tell you that the scripture says you must be born again, is that description or prescription? 
Prescription, yes, because it's telling you that for you to be in relationship with God, you must be born again. And that means for everyone, for you to be in a right relationship with God, you must be born again. That is prescribed part of following Jesus, of becoming a, a, a Christian. Uh, if, um, if someone offends you, what is, the, what is the call for us to go and do? Our, our call is to go and to, and to go to someone if they've offended us, if they've sinned against us, and if, or if I've sinned against them. It's my call to go to that person and to ask for their forgiveness. Is that description or is that prescription? Prescription, yes, it is telling us exactly what it is that we're support, uh, supposed to do. In the New Testament, it also tells us that if you become a follower of Jesus, to put on some things and to put off some things. And basically what it's saying is to put on those things that are good and right and true and holy and to put off those things that are of the world, those things that we used to be a part of, that many of you may be still part of. But it tells us to put off some things and to put on some things. Is that description or is that prescription? Prescription, yes, that is telling us, that is instructing us as Christians into what to do, not just describing what someone might have done, but it is prescribing for us as followers of Jesus how we should actually be. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you must speak in a tongue. Secondly, being filled with the Holy Spirit um, does not mean that you should be worked up into some frenzy, uh, as is the practice of some. Attention is not called to be on you at any time, but on the fact that Jesus rescues sinners. It is not whenever you become a follower of Jesus or the Holy Spirit indwells you, it is not meant for you to draw attention to yourself by, by being worked into some frenzy or to, uh, uh, to, to be in some state where you're drawing attention to yourself. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and indwells you and makes you alive spiritually in Christ Jesus. This is not about you, but it's all about Jesus who saves us. That's the second thing. And thirdly, being filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you should take off running around the sanctuary like Elijah running in front of a chariot. The Holy Spirit is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. Are you with me, church? Okay. I'm glad. Okay, back on the chariot. Let's giddy up, get back to the text. Back to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And, and, then, and then Peter goes and he quotes Psalm 110, verse 34, uh, to point to Jesus as this prophesied one uh, that he's talking about. Look what it says uh, in verse 34 and 35. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Now, for the vast majority of the biblical record, up until this point that we're reading about in Acts, um, Psalm 110 was kind of assumed to be uh, a Davidic psalm, like, so about David. 
And so it was assumed that by our Old Testament readers, by the Jewish people of the time, that they were talking about David, meaning Israel had believed this writing was about David because it said, the Lord said to my Lord. And so they interpreted that, that God was actually speaking uh, to David. And so just as a reminder, uh, as, as we go through Acts or we re really look at any, any piece of the scripture, especially as, as people reference back to the Old Testament with just a piece of the text, uh, the people of God were so familiar with the text during that day. You, you, could, you could cite a verse from a particular Old Testament writing and they would know much more of that around it. They would know the context. They would understand the context around it because they were just versed in the scriptures, much more so, honestly, than we are today. And so they would understand that this entire uh, text was about a particular time or an event or, or whatever was going on. You just had to reference a piece of it for them to, uh, for, for them to understand it. They could understand it from a, um, from a fragment of, of the text. So they believed that the first Lord in this text um, was the predicted Messiah speaking to David about David that David would come and actually sit at the right hand of God. And so that's what they believed during this time is that, that David, because he was their greatest king, and David would be the one that he would go and sit at the right hand of God. But this being about David was taken really way out of context and missed the intended point and so they had believed in error. They had believed in error for this entire, in the entirety of going through the altar from David's time up until this time in Acts. And we'll see why that, uh, why that happened. That, that Old Testament reference had been in error. And so imagine that. Believing some things in error. Understand, getting fragments of uh, the biblical text and believing some things in error. So can you imagine people would do that? Let's do a quiz. Are these in the Bible? These are some of my favorite things that we do at Refuge. Now, uh, everybody has to vote, okay? And we vote by raising our hand, okay? Uh, and if you don't vote, you have to leave. I'm just kidding. No, you don't, you don't have to leave. Uh, but we will do the students. Students, what do you do? No, we won't even do that. Uh, uh, but we're going to vote. Okay, here's the first one. Uh, are these in the Bible? God works in mysterious ways. Did you consider it? God works in mysterious ways. Who thinks this is in the Bible? Raise your hand. Who thinks this is not in the Bible? Raise your hand. Some of y'all are still chickens. I see you. I can see you from here. One more time. Who thinks this is in the Bible? Raise your hand. Y'all people, y'all putting y'all's hands down. I saw some hands raised with this. Who thinks this is not in the Bible? Raise your hand. Okay, uh, for those of you who changed your vote to not in the Bible, you're now on the right side of this. This is not, uh, so, so this is a true statement. God does work in mysterious ways, but those exact words are not in the Bible. This is actually the open lines of a poem called Light Shining Out of Darkness by William Cowper. I don't even know who that dude is. But that's where this comes from. Um, uh, so that is not in the Bible. Secondly, how about this one? This too shall pass. 
Is this in the Bible? Who think, I'm giving you a couple of seconds to think and consider. Remember where you've seen it in the text before? Is this in the Bible? Raise your hand, yes. Raise your hand, no. Y'all have learned my ways through the years. <laughs> this was a favorite of Abraham. Not Abraham in the Bible. <laughs> Actually, Abraham Lincoln. And so, you're being a good American, I guess, by uh, knowing that this was not in the Bible, but this was a saying from Abraham Lincoln, not in the Bible. Okay, um, uh, th- how about this one? Love the sinner, <laughs> hate the sin. Is this one in the Bible? This sounds very biblical to me. <laughs> Love the sinner, hate the sin. Is this one in the Bible? Who says yes? Raise your hand. You turkeys. Uh, <laughs> who says no? Raise your hand. Okay, you, most of you are all now three for three because you've learned my ways. Uh, this is one of those quotes that sounds good because it actually is really close to what the Bible actually says. Uh, and honestly, it seems like something Jesus would say, right? I mean, it, it seems like he would say something like this, but it is not. Um, Jesus does talk about loving our enemies, right? He does speak of that. Uh, but when it comes to our own sin, what does he tell us? He tells us to look inward. He, says, he tells us to take the speck out of our own eye before we reach to take or sorry, he tells us to take the log out of our own eye before we reach to take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. He says, take care of yourself first. In, uh, look at your own sin first before you start nitpicking about other people. You've got a big giant log sticking out of your own eye and you're trying to reach for a speck that comes out of your neighbor's eye. So not in uh, the Bible. So I know that you're all three for three. I'm going to have to make these tougher in the future. Back to the text. All right, here's what, here's what the text says. Back to 2, 34, 35. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Peter's point in referring to Psalm was, again, to correct the error that they had believed long before that this was about David. And so just like the David and Goliath story is not about you being like who? Why don't I just tell you? Uh, do you know the David and Goliath story? Y'all got, y'all got real quiet suddenly. So the David and Goliath story, it, when it's preached from a pulpit that preaches the scriptures correctly, is not about you being like who? David, yeah. This is not about you being the hero, Okay? The David and Goliath story is about some hero that is to step in whenever you are cowering over in the corner in your sin, uh, uh, cowering over your corner, afraid of the giant that might be before you. And this is not about Caleb's songs overcoming your giants. Sorry to step on you Caleb people. Uh, But this is not about overcoming your giants on your own and you being like David. This is about you will cower in the corner and the only hope is for the David figure to step in. And for the David figure, who is the David figure in that story? Yes, Jesus is the hero, not you. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is always the hero. Don't make the error of thinking that you're the hero in any of these stories. Jesus is 
our only hero. So, so what David, what, what, what uh, uh, Peter was trying to explain to them was that David did not ascend to the right hand of the Father. He did not ascend to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. This invitation to sit at the right hand of God was extended to the son of David and found its fulfillment in the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus is the one who would go and sit at the right hand of the Father. Verse 33 reminds us of this very truth. Jesus was raised not only by God's right hand, but to take the place at God's right hand. The position of supremacy, the, supr the position of authority, the, the position of the, the one who reigns over the universe, and this is where he still is today, at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on his people's behalf. Though you may be accused by our enemy, you may be accused by our enemy who says, Scott Benjamin is a wretched man, and it's true, but Jesus at the right hand of the Father is saying, yes, he's a wretched man, but he is covered by my blood. He has repented of his sins and put his faith and trust in me and in me alone. Jesus is our, he is our advocate with the Father. He is at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on behalf of his people. That's where Jesus is today. He is the one that sits at the right hand. Luke's gospel tells us this very same thing. And if you know about the gospel accounts of Jesus' trials before his crucifixion, uh, this piece of a text from Luke uh, uh, chapter 22 will be familiar. Look what it says in verse 66. When the day came, uh, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, speaking to Jesus, if you are the promised one, if you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to, he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated where? At the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And so today's text from Acts chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, referencing Psalm 110, is an integral part of the early church's creeds that they would say to one another. They would repeat this to one another uh, in the early church, just reminding themselves that it was Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one that we just sang about, the one that we declare from the scriptures. It's the resurrected Jesus, the one we just celebrated on Easter Sunday, having risen from the dead, who has now ascended back to the Father, and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. This was an early part of the Christian creeds that they would continue to say over and over again to remind themselves that this is true. And they said that over and over again and these essential Christian doctrines over and over again to keep them from error, to keep them from falling into false doctrines, to keep them from falling away by hearing something that sounded close to the truth but wasn't exactly the truth and so they would repeat these creeds over and over again. The right understanding today, then, and specifically today, of biblical interpretation is essential to keep us from error. It's essential to interpret the scriptures correctly to keep you from falling into some false doctrines, to keep you from making decisions based off a small piece of the scripture and not understanding the right uh, art and science of biblical interpretation. Some innocuous piece that you take the wrong way and interpret the wrong way can lead you into heresy. 
can lead you into some false teaching that you either believe, worse, that you might tell someone else and convince them to believe something that is just not right and true. Some have fallen into this, and our hope is that none of you will by hearing the, the word preached and interpreted correctly. It is, it is probably not probably, it is the most serious thing that we do from this pulpit is to interpret the word of God correctly as we declare it to you Sunday after Sunday. If it, never, if, it, if it ever fails to be that way here at Refuge, what do we tell you to do? Find another church. Don't stay and don't sit under preaching that is not rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. All right, let's keep going. Verse 36. Uh, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so Peter is, is beginning to wrap up his sermon that he is preaching here. And he comes strong at the end of this verse and says, hey, I, I'm telling you who this is. And I'm reminding you that it was, I'm, I'm speaking about this Jesus whom you crucified. And so the gospel had been proclaimed in his, in his uh, sermon that he had there. He had talked about the life of Jesus that Jesus lived that life, that he had come to live and he was sinless, yet you people crucified him is what he was telling the people who were listening to him. He died on a cross. He was buried, but God raised him from the dead. And that's what he, that's what he was preaching here. Uh, and he said, it's been witnessed by the apostles. The testimony of prophecy had combined to give assurance that what Peter was saying and what he was saying, what I'm telling you is true. This is all true and this is why it is all true. And what he said is that all this points to the fact that God has made the crucified and resurrected Jesus both Lord and Messiah. He is both Lord and Messiah. So in this claim that he is Messiah, and Messiah was the long-awaited deliverer of God's people. So when you hear the word Messiah, that's what they think of, what they were thinking of in context, that he would be their deliverer, the long-awaited deliverer of God's people. Even so, many people turned on him because they didn't believe he was the long-awaited Messiah. He spoke a different message than what they had anticipated their deliverer to come and say. They thought their deliverer would be one that would come and reign as a literal, uh, a physical king and overthrow kingdoms and overthrow, physically overthrow kingdoms. And so that's what they were looking for in their Messiah because they had been oppressed for so long. And so they were looking for a physical Messiah, and Jesus wasn't particularly that guy at that time. And so they crucified him. But God vindicated Jesus. They vindicated not only him in a person, but his claims that he made. And God raised him back from the dead, exalting him to the highest place at the right hand of the Father. And then Jesus, who was identified as God's long-awaited son, Remember that? At his baptism, Jesus uh, was confirmed by his, uh, at, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down and, and, the, and the Father spoke, this is my son and whom I am well pleased. God vindicated him not only at his baptism, but he also did it at his resurrection. But Peter goes on to further, to, to says this, that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And so he is the bearer of the name that is above every name. The bearer of the name that is above every name. And he is also the one whom anyone calls upon will be saved. He said, this is the Jesus that I'm speaking to you about. There is hope found in no other. There is hope only found in this man, Jesus, the God-man, Jesus. 
the only one who can deliver anyone from their sins and grant eternal life. Listen to me right now. If you are here and you are in your sin or you are outside the household of faith, you're going to hear lots of people that will tell you there is salvation found in some way in working your way to heaven. And if you get tip the scales in some way or another, none of those things are true. There's salvation found in only one. His name is Jesus. And he came to grant eternal life to you by living the life you cannot live, the sinless life you cannot live, by dying on a cross, by shedding his blood to cover your sin debt because there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood of the precious lamb of God. And by God being satisfied by that, by raising him from the dead. It was true as Peter declared it in his day and it is just as true as this gospel preacher is declaring it to you today. True then, true today, and this truth, listen, this truth demands a response. If this is true, and it is, it demands a response from each of us. What will we do with this truth that Peter was declaring in Acts, and I am declaring to you today? This is the response of Peter. This is what he says in 37. Now, when they heard this, listen, when they heard Peter declared these things, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What, they, what would happen was that Peter had declared this. Peter had declared the fact that what they had understood about that Old Testament teaching out of Psalm that they had misinterpreted for their entire lives. And suddenly, Peter shows them that it is about the Messiah. It is about Jesus. And they were like, oh no, we've missed this. We've missed this all along. What are we to do? Some of you have walked in today saying that same thing, not about that particular text, but you're hearing it maybe for the first time. Oh no. What am I to do? I've missed Jesus my entire life, but I'm hearing you declare that he is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. What am I to do? What is your response? How do you correct the error that you may have believed this entire time? Imagine the guilt that they might have felt during the time to go, how we treated them as the long-awaited Messiah that we've heard about our entire lives, and we have treated him this way. We have crucified him on a Roman cross. What in the world am I to do now? What hope of salvation is there for me now? Brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? You and I must answer that same question. What shall you do today? Yours and my sin is just as great as the people that we read about in Peter's day. Your sin and my sin is why Jesus had to be crucified and endure the wrath of God. So that you and I don't have to whenever we trust and put our faith and trust in Jesus and his sinless life alone. Your sin debt had to be paid. 
What shall you do today? Peter's reply was very reassuring. This is what he says. Verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the answer to what shall you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter was saying, in spite of your great sin, there's hope even now. Let, you, let them repent. Let them turn to God. Let them submit to baptism. And then not, not only would they be forgiven of their sins, but they would also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, that same gift that had been showered on the apostles just, just not too long ago, just hours before. They would receive that same, they would receive that same thing. So, so you may be here and you go, what, what is... What actually does that mean? And so repentance is a call for a change of heart. Okay? Repentance is a call for a, a change of heart, a spiritual about face, if you will, where you go, you're going in one way, you're following the course of the, the power of this world, and you realize that our hope is found in Jesus alone, and it's to go, I don't want to keep going this way, I want to go this way. I don't want to keep along this life. I want something different. And I want to be part of this life that God offers me in trusting in Jesus. Repentance was essential for those who had failed to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah then. And it's essential for us today. Now, this message of repentance sometimes stands in stark contrast to what we hear talked about following Jesus in other church gatherings even today, especially in America. Usually it goes something like this. Say this sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Say this sinner's prayer and you'll be saved. Ask Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved. And yes, there is some truth in that. But that is not the biblical call for conversion. That is not the biblical call to follow Jesus. Ask Jesus into your heart. That is not the biblical call for conversion. It's always, say always. It is always a call to repentance and faith. Always. You don't read those words that some churches today have suddenly soft played into you coming into the kingdom. It's always a call to repentance. Always a call to faith. This was not a new message. John the Baptist had come proclaiming it. And it's not a new call Today, we preach it every week here at Refuge. We believe that the Holy Spirit will choose at some point to open the ears of those who need to hear and grant repentance to you. 
grant repentance to you. He will give you the faith to believe. He will grant repentance to you whenever you repent and believe the gospel. We believe that will happen. We believe that's the biblical way of salvation. Secondly, he talks about here to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is to show Jesus authority uh, on the one that has been saved. And the one who is being saved, just like we had baptisms last week, four people that stood right here in our baptismal uh, place where we baptize people and in the waters of which we stir in baptism, it's those people that get baptized here uh, and, and maybe where you were baptized that you're declaring that I am trusting in Jesus. My old self is dying. My old dead self is, I'm just dead to my old self. That's what it looks like to go under the water, to die, just as Jesus was buried in, in death. And then he was raised to walk in newness of life. You also are buried in, your old self is dying. And you are raised to walk with the newness of life. And just as the Spirit fell on Jesus at his baptism, the Spirit indwells you whenever you become a follower of Jesus. And the text then tells us that one will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some today believe that the filling of the Holy Spirit is some event that happens further down the road after you repent of your sins and believe the gospel. That there's a filling that comes later. That, that it comes later most often after you've spoken in a tongue. That that is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's not what our text tells us. We follow the biblical text. We don't follow what rules have been made by other people. We follow the biblical text. What we learn from this and other places in Scripture, if we read the Bible with a correct understanding, again, in the art and science of biblical interpretation, is that baptism in the Spirit is an inward work. So when the Spirit comes and fills us, that he is making our hearts alive, he is giving us faith to believe the good news of the gospel, and it is the Holy Spirit that is making us alive to Christ Jesus. And baptism is us saying, hey, I believe that. That's what I believe today. That's what I believe is happening to me today. It becomes an external, uh, it becomes an external token, if you will, or an external event around what is an indwelling and an internal spiritual reality. So baptism from this point in Acts in redemptive history takes on a much richer meaning than it did even under John's baptism. John baptized with water, the scripture tells us. John said that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. But yes, we're still baptized in water, but then now we gain the Holy Spirit. So this, read this. Baptism in water continues to be the visible sign, okay? The visible sign by which those who believe the gospel repent of their sins and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord are publicly incorporated into the spirit-baptized fellowship of the new people of God. Tracking with me there? Baptism in water continues to be the visible sign by which those who believe the gospel repent of their sins and acknowledge Jesus as Lord are publicly incorporated into the spirit-baptized fellowship of the people of God. Baptism doesn't make us saved. Baptism doesn't make us the people of God. It just whenever we baptize here, the people who are baptized here are declaring to you you, the people who see this, that I am now part of the family of God, and I want you to hold me accountable to what that actually means. That is the biblical pattern, the New Testament pattern. 
is to repent, believe, be filled with the Spirit, and be baptized. It's the New Testament pattern. So important that you read your whole Bible. You understand the entirety of the biblical text and what it teaches us, and not just pieces of it, so we don't fall into error. Again, we are saved, you are saved by grace alone as the gift of God, by faith alone, by trusting in faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't contribute anything to your salvation except the sin that needs a Savior. All the rest is a gift from God. And it's imperative, I believe, from the New Testament teaching that as someone who is part of the family of God, that you be baptized after you follow Jesus. There is this idea of an unbaptized believer does not seem to be entertained in the New Testament. Okay? It doesn't seem to be entertaining in the New Testament. All, without fail, as we read this, people who trust in Jesus, who repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus are always baptized. And so it doesn't, we, we get outside the biblical text, we get outside the biblical commands whenever we are not baptized following our conversion. And so I would just say to you, if you're here and you follow Jesus, you're a Christian, but you've never been baptized following your conversion, I'm not talking about infant baptism. I don't read that in the scriptures either. I'm talking about baptism that follows your conversion. If you've not been baptized after you become a Christian, I would encourage you to come and speak with one of us today. Say, hey, I want to be baptized. I need to be baptized because I'm a follower of Jesus today. Okay? Y'all okay? Anybody mad? You mad, bro? It's okay. Get mad at Jesus. So, H.G. Uh, Marsh says this. So here the reception of the Spirit is conditional not on baptism in itself, but on baptism in Jesus' name as the visible expression of repentance and faith. So faith comes by hearing, hearing through the Word of God. Repentance is granted by the Holy Spirit. Baptism comes following your conversion, not part of it. And the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us as believers. I was... Uh, Chad Mitchell is a friend of mine. He used to go to Refuge way back in the day. Uh, and he sent me a, um, a little montage of Nacho Libre yesterday. And I love Nacho Libre. And if you like Nacho Libre, then I like you. Uh, I even have a Nacho Libre costume. Uh, considered wearing it today. Uh, uh, but in that, one of my favorite things is him talking to his wrestling partner and you know what he asks him? He says this. Why have you not been baptized? <laughs> and so he was wondering why he had not been baptized. And if you remember that he quickly uh, baptizes his wrestling partner. Uh, what? Uh, uh, and, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of our first baptisms here at Refuge. Uh, if, you're an, if you're an OG here, uh, you're going you're gonna to remember this. Uh, uh, Miss Judy uh, was, was here. It was one of our first times to come. Uh, Miss Judy's a dear friend of ours uh, here at Refuge, and it was one of our first times to come. And it was one of our first baptisms that we did at Refuge, and we showed that Nacho Libre clip of, of why have you not been baptized? And she was like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and so we don't show that anymore. Uh, anyway, 
Baptism, very crucial because Jesus commands us to be baptized, okay? Then he goes on and says this in verse 39. I'll try to wrap this up. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And so Peter says this, um, uh, Peter says, I'm not declaring this just to Israel. I'm, I'm declaring this to everybody. I'm declaring this to Gentiles. And by that, we, we're declaring it to us Gentiles today that everyone needs, uh, everyone is imperative for us to call upon the name of Jesus and be baptized as uh, believers. Uh, and Paul says to everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. And, and, and I just want to say that that's, that's an important piece of understanding salvation, that salvation is of the Lord. Let me just tell you, you're not going to decide whenever you feel like it one day to get saved. I know some of you probably feel that way. You know what? When I get around to it, I'll just do it. You know, at some point when I've kind of had my fun, I'll just do it. Whenever I decide and, you know, whenever I get to be older or whatever and I've had my time and sown my wild oats, whatever your thing is that you're thinking, then one day I'll just decide to come to the Lord. Nope. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord chooses his people. All through the scripture, that's what we see him doing. The Lord has a people, and he chooses his people, and he calls whom he will call. When the Lord calls you to repentance and faith, it is my encouragement to you to respond in faith, okay? You don't get to decide that on your own. It is the Lord who calls effects, and those who calls effectually, he says. He says the general call to everybody. I preach the gospel every week. We call everyone every week, general call to repentance, but only those who the Holy Spirit awakens to the gospel will be saved. And my, it is my hope that that is you today, the effectual call of the Lord. Those who he calls, he saves. And then lastly, he says this in verse 40 and 41. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and, those were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I would echo Peter's sentiment today, and this is the so what of the sermon today. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And as long as there is breath within you, there is still hope for you to save yourself from this crooked generation. Just as there was urgency in Peter's heart as he spoke this on, on, on the time that he was speaking it, there's urgency for you today to hear this same message. And you may be like the people we were that we read in our text today. And suddenly you realize that you've missed Jesus all these years and you've heard some things that were taught to you that were wrongly taught to you. And so in this increasingly dark world that you and I live in today, Peter called people to come to Jesus. Save yourself from this crooked generation. In our increasingly dark and perverse world that we live in in 2023 today, save yourself from this crooked generation and come to Jesus. Reject any lies that you have believed so far. Don't be led astray by any errors in teaching that you might have heard before. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Join the 3,000 souls that that day moved from death to life by putting your hope, your future, your eternal soul in the everlasting promise of the resurrected Jesus.
Brothers, what shall you do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today, come to Jesus. Let's pray.